0: Geekish Cast, episode ninety-one: An interview with O. Corbin Salakin, filmmaker of Patterson's Wager. This episode brought to you by Things from Another World. Check them out at geekishcast.com/tfaw. Welcome back to Geekish Cast. I'm your host, Jeremy, and today I am joined by O. Corbin Salikin. How are you doing, Corbin? I'm doing, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Jeremy. Hey, so last week my wife and I interviewed Fred Awanek, one of our favorite Canadian actors that we know from uh, Corner Gas and some other things. Yep. In prepping for our interview for him, we decided to check out all of his movies as well. And uh, you worked with him on a film that you made, and I believe you wrote directed, produced, financed, and catered it yourself.
1: Well, I, I edited it. I didn't quite cater it.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but it, it was called uh, Patterson's Wager. Yes, that's correct. Yep. And um, I, my wife found it really, really lovely. And actually, she would be in here on this interview now if she weren't taking care of our grandson. So <laughs> um, I I enjoyed it as well. that's not to say I didn't, but she was really quite taken with it. Oh,
1: no, that's great to hear.
0: Yeah, so let's um. At what point in your life did you get bit with the storytelling bug, and what what drove you in the direction of filmmaking? Uh,
1: probably. I mean, I've been watching movies my whole life. Uh, I started. I was making bad VHS movies skits with my brother when I was in high school, so mm-hmm. that might be the origin of that. Uh, my first movie was Weekend of Terror. You I know, mean, starts off. That's pretty much what you can do with two people—a horror movie, a first-person horror movie. So I did a couple of those, okay. and
0: they're—they're
1: they're pretty. They're very awful. And then I went to university, and actually, the big thing for me was when I I graduated from high school in '89, and then that summer was the summer that the James Cameron's *The Abyss* came out. Oh yeah, and I went and saw that in the theater, and it just blew me away. I just—I didn't know anything about it. I just knew it. knew it was from the guy who did *Aliens* and *Terminator*. And that movie just I, there's few movie going experiences that I've had that were like that where I was just I was completely immersed in this movie. I had no idea what was going, and it constantly surprised me just at every moment, and that kind of made me want to make make movies.
0: So, okay, and then that's what you pursued in college or university. Yep Yep, I got a degree in filmmaking from the University of British Columbia. Okay, and then going through your your background, you've definitely been involved with. Uh, Some people that are definitely steeped in filmmaking. Uh, you want to kind of give us a little bit of your post, post-college or uh, the work you got into going into filmmaking as well?
1: Yeah, sure. So, I mean, film school, I worked on a, a number of films. I didn't actually get to make um, any of my own. And then mm-hmm. when I got out, uh, I made uh, a few short films. I made a, a short film called The B-Team pretty much right after, well, a couple years after I got out. And see, I was, work, I went to school during the analog age where it was 16 mm film was kind of mm-hmm. the, the medium you needed to use if you wanted it to look professional. And so it was a lot harder to make something back then because you actually had to cut it on film. So, and just, so to get access to that equipment when it wasn't in film school wasn't as easy, it was a lot more expensive. So I made this short film afterwards, a 60mm short film, the B-Team, but a group of 10 year olds, or a group of 20-somethings who have a, have an elementary school reunion, and they go back and they to their old uh, elementary school. They reminisce about what it was like in elementary school, and then they play themselves as 10-year-olds. And then I didn't make anything for a few years after that because of the, this is hard to get, hold of analog gear, and then kind of the digital revolution came along and made things easier. So I made uh, a short film called Wonder Were Little with my niece and nephew, and then that, um, that got me into the Werner Herzog Rogue Film School. Mm-hmm. So, and that kind of gave me a push to keep making more and then the next one I did was this film called The Vehicle which is about a man who tries to convince a woman that he's come back through time to be with her and I worked on that with some really great actors one of them is Gary Chalk who uh, a lot of genre people recognize he's the voice of uh, Optimus Primal in one of the Transformer um, animated series He's been in Tomorrowland, and he was in Godzilla, He's in The Exiles, the, the one that just came out. So he's been in a whole bunch of stuff, and there's woman, Julian Barber, who's also been in a whole bunch of stuff. So, that was really my, kind of my step up, working with pros.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: then I moved, after that, that film did pretty well, got into a bunch of film festivals, and I decided, well, I'm just gonna try and make a feature film. And that's where Patterson's Wager came in, and I was really fortunate that a whole bunch of Really talented, experienced actors agreed to work on the movie for pretty much nothing. Uh,
0: and you attracted some real talent into, the, at least at the very least, the acting roles, but also some of the behind the scenes as well. Yep. Yep. Um, so uh, that's pretty fortunate right there.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's one of the benefits of being in Vancouver, which is, I think, at right now it's probably like the third biggest um, film production hub in North America. Is that you've got all these great local actors who, who you know, they hopefully they try to get on to all the American stuff that's shooting up here. Mm-hmm. But that stuff isn't necessarily the most creatively rewarding. I mean, some of it is, but a lot of times they're kind of playing sort of the smaller, the bit parts. And so they're willing to work on the indie stuff, which may have a bit more beat, meat on it, and it gives them a little more dramatic opportunities. And right. they're willing to do that for for not very much. And so that's how, yeah, so that's Fred, Fred Erwanek, who was my first choice of the role. He's a local guy. And so I knew he was in town. And I asked him. And then Chela Horstall, she plays the female lead. She's in, she's on Helen Wheels. She's in the, um, Man in the High Castle. She's in a whole bunch of stuff. And Alex Sahara, who's a good friend of mine, he's in the film too. He, uh, he played uh, King Midas on Once Upon a Time. He's also been in a whole bunch of other things. So, yeah, I got a, Amazing, amazing talent.
0: Well, that's fantastic. Now, um, I'm going to ask you about the title of this, because I think I know what it's referencing, but I want to make sure before I make an ass out of myself talking about it. Okay. Where does where does the title Patterson's Wager come from?
1: Okay. Uh, this is it's a question I get asked quite a bit, mm-hmm. um, and I often say I don't want to say too much about it, because... I want it to be revealed in the movie, but I'm at the point where I, I want people to see the movie, and so it references something that I don't usually talk about, but I think that there is a a bunch of people out there who may be particularly interested in the film because of this subject matter, so that's mm-hmm. my that's my preamble. So the Patterson um, name comes from the Patterson-Gimlin Bigfoot film, because the film The film is ostensibly about a man um, who discovers that he has the unpredictable ability to see two minutes in the future, and that man is played by Fred from Corner Gas, but there's also uh, a subplot in the film, which I don't want to say too much about, but it's about it involves uh, a family secret that involves Bigfoot, so that's where the Patterson from Patterson's Wager comes from.
0: Okay. Um I'm gonna share a little something about myself. I'm I'm a pretty skeptical person on a lot of ways. When I watch that Patterson Gimlin footage, I could swear that's a real animal in there. I agree. And anybody that anybody that's listened to my show knows I actually have a great nephew who is a eight year old Bigfoot expert. I listened to that, that podcast. It was <laughs> a great episode. I, I like I had a lot of fun making that one. Uh but I'm glad people like it. Um so you, you think that Patterson-Gimlin footage shows a real animal then?
1: I think so. I mean, my big thing, too, is, and this is sort of what the, the, uh, the theme of Patterson's Wager, because it's a film belief and trust and faith. And for me, I believe that Bigfoot exists because I want Bigfoot to exist. It's mm-hmm. the story that I want to be true, and that's why I believe it. More than anything, it's a sort of, I think it's, but I think there's also some credible reasons why, Bigfoot could be out there too, and, and yeah, and they, the Patterson-Gimlin footage is—it's pretty remarkable. I mean, i, I know there's uh, people who a guy who claimed that he was in the suit, and but I don't know, I don't know. They, you talk about the, the way the musculature seems to be working underneath the suit and everything, or the the fur. I don't know. It looks pretty real to me.
0: It looks real to me, and, and here's my thing: mm-hmm. you, if you had that suit in 1968, you could have replicated that that footage a million times mm-hmm. since then. And like you were saying earlier with filmmaking now, with the digital revolution, we should be seeing the most realistic Bigfoot footage we've ever seen. Whereas, yep. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, the barrier to entry to do filmmaking is so low now that mm-hmm. we should be seeing this stuff everywhere, and nobody can replicate that footage. Yeah, no, exactly. But um, that's, just, that's just me uh, giving in to my hope, hoping that that's a real animal. There's yep. a, kind of a romantic interest in there, you know.
1: Yeah, and I, I mean, I think, you know, I like think they're intelligent creatures, so it's not going to be too hard to stay away from us humans. They just kind of, they just move deep into the forest and, yeah. Now, I, I, I why, why can't they be out there? Do you know, do you know what do with the coelacanth?
0: You the, the coelacanth fish? was that fish that was assumed to be extinct for over a million years and then cut off the, fish, uh, the coast of Africa in the 20s, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was actually supposed to be extinct for 40 million years, and then yeah, yeah it was in the mid 1952. Some guy pulled this fish up out of, after in his trawler, and this woman from the uh, the museum down there looked at it and said, "I don't know what this is." She drew a picture of her. it, sent it to some guy in England, and the guy saw this this drawing and said, "Well, this is this can't be a real fish. This thing's supposed to be extinct for 40 million years," and then they they eventually authenticated it, and then they took them. I think another 12 years to find out where it. Came. right but yeah now there's there's a school down there I think there's also supposed to be a school in New Zealand so that's kind of my thing is that if there's something like that you know why why can't Bigfoot exist
0: well and here's the other thing now I live in central California the uh, Patterson-Gimlin footage was shot in northern California Mm -hmm. between that spot in California and then going all the way up to your neck of the woods there in BC there is dense 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 forest oh absolutely there, there's stuff living in there. There could be a lost Indian tribe in there, quite honestly, for all we know. Yep, yep. I mean, there's stuff in there that's never been seen by modern human eye, you know. So, and, until <laughs> until that's all been logged out and then we can prove that there's nothing there, I'm going to keep believing that it's probably real.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, it's a, it's a biped, which means it's, it's obviously intelligent, so, you know, for it to come up with a strategy to avoid being detective, I don't think that's, too hard to to imagine.
0: No, neither do I. I think I mean honestly between well, yeah, just like you said there, there's no need for me to sharpen that point at all. <laughs> if it's bipedal and it's somewhere between the apes, you know, and human beings on the evolutionary chain or somewhere similar to them, I'm sure they can figure out a way to hide pretty well. Yep. Yeah. Um so, yeah, that's very interesting that you use that in there. Um, one of the things, and again, I don't want to give away a whole lot about this movie, because um, I want to encourage everybody to go to Amazon, buy it, rent it, do whatever there, but check it out. It's a really, really nice little movie you made. Thank you. Um, one of the, the things in here is that Fred Wanick's character develops the ability, the irregular ability, and the unpredictable ability to see a minute or two into the future. Yep. And my wife swears that in the film there are a couple points where you kind of give the viewer the ability to see just ahead in the film as well.
1: Oh, you that's interesting. Things,
0: yeah, she, there are two scenes. That's why I wish she would have come in. because Well, no, I wouldn't, because then I wouldn't want to give it away to people listening. <laughs> but she feels that there were two scenes that you specifically slightly hinted to so the viewer could go like, oh, I thought that's where we were headed, and kind of have it in their head that like that was the moment. Right. But, yeah yeah
1: yeah I know it's like you said it's it's this little indie film so I uh, it, it's tough when you're trying to market something like this that has a, a couple nice reveals I think in the film so it's hard mm-hmm. to say to talk a lot about it because um, people need a reason to go see something but oh sure but it's hard to uh, give them enough reason because I don't want to give too many things away but it's you know we're in that age where there's so much stuff out there as you know I mean there's everything there's so much entertainment vying for people's attention and people really want to know everything they're getting into when they when they go into something like this I mean you look at the, the trailers that feature films are putting on I mean, I just saw I don't know what it was it was some I, mean, I, I saw a trailer for Oliver Stone's uh, the Snowden movie and wow. I think the thing was like three minutes long or something and it gave every single beat and this is you know Oliver Stone with big stick Joseph Gordon levitt like these big stars if they have to reveal every single beat of that movie to get people to go see it, you know what help do what help do I have to try to preserve some some, some experience for for the viewer
0: right well and, and your your movie is predicated on having a couple like you said reveals in it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if there there are two things in there if, if they were given away. It it would make watching the movie less fun. I feel so. I, I totally understand that. Yep. But at the same same time, how do you titillate people into watching, and how do you get the eyeballs on the screen?
1: Yeah, you know? exactly. I mean, I think you know, I, I think the trailer does a good job of because I, I cut the trailer, So I was very conscious of presenting a trailer that adequately represented the movie, but only mm-hmm. represented it to a certain point. So it just kind of goes up until. Sort of halfway into the film, it doesn't really it doesn't do anything in the third act, and it keeps a whole bunch of other stuff under the, under the surface. So, I, hopefully, that if you watch the trailer, you get a good idea of a big chunk of the tone. And so, if you like the trailer, I think you'll like the movie.
0: Oh, okay. Is the trailer available online anywhere? Yep. Yeah, it's on Vimeo,
1: YouTube. It's on the website, which is www Excellent. So, yeah, it's on iTunes, too, the trailer. I mean, you go to the iTunes link. It's. Pro- I don't know if it's on the Amazon link. I know on the iTunes link it's out there. So, yeah, it's, it's out there for sure.
0: Okay. Well, then, um, I hope you don't mind. I'll go ahead. I'll embed that in the website. Please do. Yeah, when I put that up for this episode, that would be great, I think. Um, and then I got a question for you. Well, so here's what happened. My wife and I interviewed Fred Awanik, uh Friday night. Mm-hmm. And she, we get done. There was so much we wanted to talk about, and we you have an hour. You can only get so much talking in, right? Yep. So she goes, oh, I forgot to even bring up Patterson's wager at all. <laughs> I was like, yeah, me too. But just earlier that day, she had written something um, on Twitter about it, and you responded. So I was like, well, you know what? That's great, because I'm pretty sure we, <laughs> we're we following him now, so let's get the filmmaker on, and that would be, I think, the proper way to handle it.
1: Yeah. No, that's so, great. I mean, I don't quite... I haven't got... The handle of, on Twitter yet, but this is definitely one of the nice little bonuses of Twitter. It worked. Twitter worked for me, so I'm glad oh, yeah. to be connected through there.
0: Yeah, so am I. So, first off, you know, thank you very much for, you know, being responsive on there. I do appreciate that a lot. Absolutely. Um, and secondly, thank you for taking the time to come on here. I do appreciate it.
1: Yeah, that's great. I mean, I anyone, I, I love it when people, you know, obviously I made this, I essentially made this movie so that I, because I wanted to see this story, and I didn't have any real expectation beyond that. It was just sort of, if I can make this thing that I can watch whenever I want, then I'll be happy with that. And the fact that it's getting out there, that you saw it down in California, is wonderful. It's played at a number of film festivals. So anything that can happen to let the world know about Patterson's Wager, I am certainly happy to do.
0: Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm going to do what I can. because I think people people need to know about it because I think people will enjoy watching it. Um, I I believe, and you guys have won. Well, it uh, looks like eight eight or nine uh, film festivals. It looks like. Yep. Yeah. yeah, we've it's done pretty well. Absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, that's a that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. So people are definitely responsive to it. The people who have watched it enjoy it.
1: Yeah. No, that's the thing. It's awesome when people watch. I mean, you've seen it. It's. I think it's a pretty hard film not to like. It's there's mm-hmm. not. It's a. It's definitely a feel good movie. Um, you'll. You should have a big smile on your face when it ends. It's, it was intended for that, and it's the kind of movie that you know anybody can watch. You know, I showed it to six-year-olds, and I also, my, when my grandmother turned ninety, I rented out a theater in a the small town where she lives, and I showed it to her and some of her friends. So it's it, everybody can and it can enjoy the film. It's Got something for everybody in there, I think. Like your, your your nephew would like it, I think.
0: Yeah, I. I... I think just about everybody would like this. I'm gonna show it to him too um so yeah, and also you the cast you picked, I think you picked more a very likable group of people, and I think that probably helps it
1: yes, no i mean- ca- casting is it is the most important thing i mean if you you i mean I'm not certainly not the first person for like to say that it's you cast the the right actors and you can just kind of stand back and like you said Fred Fred is. He's got such a great screen presence. I mean, in person, he is the nicest guy in the world. You talk to him, you, you know, you can tell that he's a super nice guy. And on screen, he's, yeah, he's just, you just enjoy watching him. He's such a nice, I and mean, all, all the actors, they just, I don't know, they're, they're wonderful in person, and that translates onto the screen. So I agree, it's, it's, a, it's a very likable cast. Yeah,
0: and I, I, the other thing my wife remarked on, she was really happy to see Fred play kind of well, happy to see him play a romantic lead because he's not the guy you normally think of when you hear romantic lead. Yep,
1: exactly. Yeah, no, that was. I think that was one of the things that attracted him to to the film. You know, I know that when we talked first, it was he he liked that relationship, mm-hmm. and like one of the first things when we met, um, we he asked me what was the tone of the film going to be. And I said grounded. I mentioned the Duplass Brothers and Safety Not Guaranteed, which is one of my favorite films. So that was something that appealed to him, was just this really grounded. I've I've described the film to people as the Duplass Brothers or Richard Linklater made a superhero movie. This might be the movie they made.
0: Okay, I can see that. Now, you know that that uh, Safety Not Guaranteed was actually based on a real newspaper ad? Yep. Yeah, I I didn't know that until like maybe a month ago. And I was just blown away. Yeah, um, I love it. But yeah, I, I, think I love that it. tone. Definitely I love no, give tea. Yep. Oh, it's, yeah, it's a great movie, and it's it's one of those ones that I found by accident as well.
1: Yeah, it's a little small. I mean, the guy, you know, the guy, made that, and then he went on to direct Jurassic World, and he's doing the the third Star Wars movie. So I don't know, maybe uh, maybe something will happen I, like that. But I'd be onto
0: something there, yeah. yeah. Uh so I notice in the opening in this movie you've got Fred in a room uh practicing something. Yep. And on the wall you've got a Star Wars poster and oh, and another one and I can't remember what you've got Church. Raiders, yes. Yep. So uh I, I have to assume you're a fan then.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Raiders is one of the my favorite films of all time. Yeah.
0: Um, how about that, that last one they did with the Crystal Skull, what'd you think?
1: I don't really even accept that as being part of the Raiders. <laughs> I mean, for me, I don't think – I don't, I mean, I know they're going to do another one. I just – Raiders is such a perfect film, and it had the perfect artifact that they were searching for. The arc, I don't think you can get a better artifact than the arc. It just carries so much power and weight to it mm-hmm. that – I mean, that was the – they, they started with the, the best thing that I don't – I mean, you know, the – the Holy Grail, which is certainly cool, but it's still its just a cup. I mean, it's not, there's nothing that's going to compare to the arcs. And that, that added this whole level to the film that I just, I don't think they're ever going to be able to come up with something that can duplicate that.
0: Yeah. Well, see, I love Raiders of the Lost Ark, but for some reason The Last Crusade is the one that has always really stuck out in my mind. Hmm. And I've always found it to be... Well, and, and probably because for 20 years, it was the perfect ending point for uh, Indiana Jones. Yep. No, I, also, um, I agree with that. There was no need to follow it up. The, and there's a very good chance that... Uh, both Dr. Jones wrote away Immortals after the end of that story. Right, right. You know? And so there was really nothing more to tell. You know, that Whatever they were going to do was going to be so big and so grandiose, there was no, no way to put it on the screen at that point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's why when the Crystal Skull was announced, I was, like, I was already just thumbs down. I'm like, I don't even care to see it. Mm-hmm. And then when the reviews came in, I was like, I was right all along. Yeah. So, yeah. how about The how about the Force Awakens? What did you think of that? Oh,
1: I loved it. Yeah. I think, uh, as everyone has kind of said, uh, like J.J. did what he needed to do. He rebooted it, went back, you know, didn't do anything, didn't, didn't break the mold. That's nope. uh, Ryan Johnson, presumably. He's got a bunch of stuff on, cooked up, ready, ready to go. But, you know, I, and I watched it, I mean, I saw it, um, like most people, I saw it probably opening day, opening weekend. I made sure to see it in 2D because I'm not a 3D fan. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I, thought it, I thought it was great. I mean, I'm not... The geography thing of Jerry Abrams kind of gets to me, just the way that characters seem to have the ability to
0: teleport. Yes. He, he very often seems to lose track of distances. Yes. In, and, in Star Trek and Star Wars.
1: Yeah, and there's, there's something... There's actually on some, mess, uh, some website and somebody wanted to comment pointed something out to me, which I had never considered. And once they did, it really changed the way I look at a lot of it. They were talking about how, you know, the Death Star was the size of a moon. Mm-hmm. And this new device was the size of, I don't know, like 10 Death Stars. And which means that getting around that planet, that big base, would take months. So if you're some guy and you say, well, i got to go to the detention bay. And that's the equivalent of saying, well, I'm in Vancouver. i got to get to New York or I got to mm-hmm. get to Mexico. So well, I'll see you in, you know, like uh, four weeks or something. I'm going to get on this little trolley. I'm going to have to go take bathroom breaks. I'm going to have to sleep over. It's, but They never really consider that it's that this thing they created is so big. You know, it's the size of a planet. So it's going to take you know, weeks and weeks to move around that thing.
0: Yeah. Well, um, maybe maybe all the offices are really close together. Yeah.
1: Maybe that's what they do. They've got exactly. Like, but there's a, there's a bit at the end where they they um, the the, the things gonna explode, and they say you've got two minutes to get away. And then they cut to Boyega and and Daisy Ridley, and and there's this shot, and they look like they're like five kilometers away, which they just traversed in presumably like thirty seconds. Right. So just stuff like that. I mean, it's not big, but it's just well, then just don't make it two minutes. Like give them, give them enough time to get there.
0: Yeah. You just say fast instead of two minutes. Yeah,
1: exactly. Different. But I mean, well, I watched it's... it recently on Blu-ray again, and I could and just look. You yeah, know, the, the filmmaking, too. I mean, I really like what right, a lot of the shots. Like, there's this Spielberg-inspired blocking where these shots, a lot of, it's really interesting the way, way he put stuff together. I think it's the most cinematic thing he's done.
0: Yeah, it, it had some really, really beautiful shots. way some were set up. Um, keep in mind, I'm a layman talking about this, so I'm not anywhere near the depth or knowledge that you have on it. Um, but also, you know, one of the things, that I and I'm sure people are pointing this out all over the place, some of the first words spoken, or the first sentence spoken in that movie is, this will begin to make things right. <laughs> I
1: didn't notice that.
0: Yeah, that's, that's not, the first thing that Max von Sydow's character says. I have taken that to be meta-commentary on the prequels.
1: Oh, absolutely. There's no. I, yeah, I didn't know that was the case, but there's no way it couldn't be that.
0: Yep, the first word spoken out loud, Max von says that to uh, Poe Dameron. I'm
1: going to go watch it
0: again. <laughs> one, more, great. one more thing to look for, yeah. Yep. Um, but, yeah, for me, I love that movie. I mean, no secret, I went and saw it five times in the theater. Mm. And I I am already obsessed. With the, I want to find out more about the Knights of Ren. I'm just kind of obsessed with this idea of this little upstart dark side faction that the bastard you know, the bastard child of the dark side created basically. right right so that is one I'm looking forward to so you and I talked a little bit ahead of time just to kind of get a sense of the stuff you were into and you told me that you're a comic book fan
1: yep I have been for 30 years
0: yeah that's um so are you a marvel guy DC guy kind of what what are your favorites going right now right now
1: I mean I I'm am I'm, as I mentioned to you I'm a traditionally a DC guy that's what got me in. Just because the, the local pharmacy down the street, is when I started reading, and they had Teen Titans. I think probably Teen Titans was my my gateway comic, and then Batman and the Outsiders. I remember Batman and the Outsiders number 27 was the one that really kind of did it for me. The the Jim Aparo Batman, um, and I think it was probably to be Alan Davis. I'm not sure. One of those two two guys. And so yeah, I've always I've always liked the DC superheroes. Batman is definitely my favorite character, although I've in recent years, I've kind of i moved away from the superheroes just because, as I as we as we briefly touched upon, I'm not I'm not a big fan of the big mega stories and how everything's connected. I think I listened to one of your previous podcasts, and I don't know if it was you or your your guest, and you were talking about how they're writing now for the trades, and that makes sense. I hadn't put that together. It makes sense why they have all these these giant story arcs, and it's just so that they can have, you can have your big trade paperback, and I just, I like a simple, just one superhero doing his thing, his or her thing, I mean, that's what I like, I like it's just like a Batman story, he's just in Gotham, and he's just trying to figure something out, I don't have to have all these other things going on, and it's hard to find out yeah. these days.
0: It is, and it's like, um, well, you know, one of my regular co-hosts when we talk comics uh, is uh, Paul Vieira. And we're both real big into it now because we're trying to dig into DC Rebirth as much as possible. Yep. But I think both he and I, or at least one of us, have remarked before that, you know, when, say, say when Superman showed up in a Batman book in the past, it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. But now it's just every every issue. It's like, you know, here's Batman fighting the Joker and, oh, hi, Superman. <laughs> And Marvel's like that, DC's like that, and it's hard to just get into, you know, I want a traditional 1970s-style Batman story where he's solving a crime.
1: Oh, I do too. Yeah. So I'm hoping that, I know there's that all-star Batman coming out, and maybe, that's why I like Legends of the Dark Knight, it's just, you know, it's just these singular Batman stories, and different creators could come on and do their their little four, three-part episode. I don't know, that's, I wish there was a bit more of that, but... I don't know. I mean, I, I actually stopped reading Batman for a while there when uh, Commissioner Gordon put on the cowl. I just thought that's just ridiculous. I can't. It's Bruce Wayne or nothing for me.
0: Well, you know, and also that whole New Fifty Two didn't didn't do anything for me at all.
1: Yeah, me neither.
0: It it literally made me look at DC Comics and say, oh, I guess you guys just don't want me as a reader anymore. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because um, that's I mean that's what it did. And first off, I thought those costume designs were ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, did everybody really a, need a mock turtleneck? <laughs> you know, does does Superman really need armor? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and then they turned Batman into, like, Iron Man with a cape. Yep. And it was just, I was not a fan. Yep. Yeah. So what stuff are you reading now if you're kind of off the superhero stuff?
1: I'm uh, reading a lot, of, a lot of Image stuff, because, mm-hmm. I mean, Image seems to, Image has become the company they said they were at the beginning, but they weren't really, and right. now they've kind of become that this this haven for the creator. So like anything Ed Brubaker does, I love his I love his stuff, like Scene of the Crime and uh, the Criminal books, and he's got this Velvet. I don't know if you have have you read Velvet?
0: No, I have not.
1: It's this uh, it's like a set female spy kind of James Bond book, and it's oh it's it's amazing. I. Like, Greg Ruckus stuff. He's doing um, Lazarus, which is really, really cool. I'm trying to think what else I'm reading. Uh, I mean, Saga. Saga's great. Oh,
0: Saga's outstanding. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, Actually, I can go over to my my stack of comics right now. Uh, (laughs) Let's
0: see what I got here.
1: What do I got here? Yeah, it's the uh, Stray Bullets. That's that's a uh, very nice neo uh The Matt Wagner's doing some sh- the shadow right now in Dynamite, which I love his stuff, and he's uh, he's drawing it too, so that's really cool. Um, yeah. There's a uh, paper Paper Girls. That's the the, the Brian Cave on. This is one of his other series. So it's well, it's cool. Cause there's just a whole bunch of people doing creator only. Gene Haw has got his own creator own book May. So that's what I really like. I like that there's so many of these guys out there doing doing writing and 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 drawing their
0: books now, so. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, and the Punisher, yeah, I'm
1: a big Punisher. I like the Punisher. Steve Dillon drawing the Punisher over at Marvel, I think. Well, he's the best Punisher artist, so I'm reading that, too.
0: Oh, wow. Well, and here's the thing I've been noticing with Marvel lately. I actually read, I think it was io9 had an article. They said that Marvel doesn't do ongoing series anymore. Mm. They, do, they do big crossovers and then a galaxy-wide shake-up, and then big crossovers and then a galaxy-wide shake-up. Yep. Um, and that kind of that's kind of the thing you're talking about now. With the Punisher, it's hard to put him in a galactic scale thing. You need him just you know blowing up gangsters in New York. That's really exactly,
1: and that's why I like yeah. it. It's just because it, yeah, it doesn't make any sense for the, for the Punisher to exist in a world with other superheroes that have superpowers, right? And so they kind of pretend that he doesn't in a way.
0: Oh yeah. Well, did you ever read Mike Grill's run on Green Arrow? Yes. Oh yeah, okay. the uh, the, was it the longbow hunter was that the the, the longbow hunters, and then the the next forty yep. issues of his standalone series. I've got those in um, one of my long boxes downstairs. Yep. I was I was just going to say I found that as a teenager, and then I collected every issue of it, and then sold them off, and then back in the late nineties, early two thousands, I bought it all over again. I think I've rebuilt that that collection three or four times. <laughs> um, and if you check out DC's Rebirth Green Arrow you'll see that they're actually kind of putting that stuff back together, where they've moved him back to Seattle and the Black Canary's back in his life. Oh, go on. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah. But also, like you were saying there, originally in that, that run that Mike Grell did, they basically divorced him from the superhero universe and stuck him in Seattle where nothing superheroic happened. mm and I loved that. I thought that was outstanding back in the day.
1: Yeah, I mean that's the thing when you're dealing with guys like that who don't have any superpowers themselves, mm-hmm. and but they're supposedly affiliated with the other superheroes. It's I mean obviously comics are you have to have that willing suspension of disbelief, but for them to come up with something, I mean there's uh, like that's the thing with Batman where I was you know the the Scott Snyder Batman where there's that whole arc with the Riddler who had taken over Gotham and held all of Gotham hostage for, like, weeks or whatever. And that just doesn't make sense in a world that has Superman and these other people. You know, Batman would, right. would make one call to Superman, he just could fly over and fix it.
0: Yeah, exactly. It just You'd have to come out. If you're going to cross them over all the time, there are too many pitfalls in there to do it realistically.
1: Mm-hmm. And it was cause... kind of silly to kind of, you know, take it apart that way. But, that, I mean, the last, actually, the first issue of the Batman Rebirth, they had a, there was that moment have you read that one?
0: Batman Rebirth? Yeah.
1: Because yeah, they actually acknowledge it. Where he's on the top of the plane, and he kind of says, well, I'm going to die. And I think Alfred says, well, I tried to get a hold of Superman that he's doing something, so he can't come to help you. So Batman says, well, I guess that's it. I guess that's it for me. And then, yeah. the, then the other, the, the those new superheroes came up and saved him. So. But I thought that was like they had, they had to acknowledge that, okay, we tried to get a hold of Superman, but, you know, he's doing something else.
0: Right. Well, that's, um, I remember also, oh, the killing, uh, not the killing joke, death in the family back yep. in the day. Mm. And they, you know, it's, it's so hard for me to believe when they try to put Batman versus Superman, except in the Dark Knight mm-hmm. uh, Returns. That's the only time it ever really felt real. Yep. But dropping Kal-El of Krypton into the same room as Bruce Wayne, who's already that far beyond human, and then you have a godlike man standing in the room, and then Batman decides to sucker punch him. <laughs> you know, you're just like, that's like a human being fighting a can of soup. This is not going to go over real well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, well, let me ask you this, since, I mean, you are a comic book fan. I mean, you've done kind of, in a way, Fred Awanek's character is kind of super her- heroic in Patterson's Wager. Is there, is there an interest in you in doing an actual superhero movie, or what do you think about that?
1: Uh, I mean, if someone wants to hire me to make a superhero movie, it would be hard for me to say no to that. Well, you're right,
0: right. But, I mean, is that like an ambition you hold? Or not,
1: you not really. I mean, Patterson's Wager is kind of, it's the extent, I think, of the superhero thing that I want to do because that's, that's the type of superhero thing that interests me because I'm not, my favorite superhero movie is still the original Superman. Mm-hmm. I love that, so much because it has it has the joy, and it has. Uh, I think it's it's such a great film, and it doesn't end with this big. I mean, obviously, couldn't end with the CG battle because it was pre CG, but it doesn't right. end with the big battle with the big bad guy. And all of these other movies, they're just they end with this big video game battle, and you know, there's no sense of threat because you always know, well, obviously, the good guys are going to win. So I'm just I'm really bored with all, with all of those. I, I enjoyed Ant Man for that reason, because Ant-Man ended on the small scale. I thought that was a really cool little twist on the superhero
0: movie. Right. No, Ant-Man was a little, more, a little more of an experiment, I think, also on the studio's part. Because, I mean, while everybody likes Paul Rudd, yeah. I don't know if anybody's ever crossed a street to see a Paul Rudd movie. Right, you know yeah. What I mean, I bet even his mom's kind of like, oh, that's nice, Paul. I'll see it when it hits DVD.
1: Right, right.
0: And he was so probably one of
1: the best things in uh, the Captain America Civil War too. I oh, think. Civil War!
0: He was outstanding in there. Yeah. He, one of the problems, like with Batman Superman, was it was just joyless. You know what I mean? Mm. And to actually hear, uh, to hear Paul Rudd laughing as that character as he's swinging an airplane around, like, oh, check this out. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. It was just fun. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was
1: exactly that's. I mean, I didn't even bother seeing that. Batman. Batman is my favorite superhero. I didn't even bother seeing Batman and Superman because I knew what I was going to get into, and I knew there was no way I was going to like that movie. So,
0: yeah, and here's the thing: I I do not mind that movie very much. Matter of fact, I think the the three hour extended cut is the version they should have released.
1: Well, I'm sure maybe I'll have to check that one out then.
0: Yeah. Uh, Watch it in two settings. I still think three hours is way too long for a movie. I mean, Mm -hmm. just ridiculously long. You know, Mm -hmm. if it's not Gandhi or something. Right. Lawrence of Arabia, you know, something that has to be a three-hour sweeping epic. Um, But they actually, because a lot of the complaints that people had upon seeing the theatrical cut are handled in this. Okay. But that being said, the thing you have to get used to, or at least what I think the thing you have to get used to, Batman is the bad guy in this movie. Hmm. And I think that's the other thing people like just couldn't make that jump because you have to make that jump for the rest of it to hang together. I think. Okay. But again, I'm a layman. I'm not a filmmaker. It's just the way I took it. No, no, I, that's that's totally valid. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Corbin, what? Anything? You working on anything right now?
1: Um, I've got, I've got some scripts that I've written in. I'm going to do some rewriting on them. And as you mentioned, Patterson's wager—I funded that myself. So I've—I've I've spent all the money I can spend making mm-hmm. feature films. So now the the next trick is to try to get someone else to give me some money. Um, the the indie film game is a tough game. It's you know there's there's not a lot of chance of making money off it just in, in anywhere. You know Canada, uh, U.S. You look at some of these. There's the only movies that are making money these days are the, the giant movies. So it's it's a tough business to be in. So you basically you just have to do it because you really want to see that story told. So I'm hopefully hopefully I've got I've got a ghost story that I wouldn't mind doing. I've got what I consider to be the Canadian Dazed and Confused that I'd like to make someday. So <laughs>
0: uh, just the idea of that one kind of makes me chuckle just hearing the words said out loud Canadian Dazed and Confused.
1: Right, but we haven't had one so I think we I think you know, Canada deserves its own days to confuse, so maybe I'll get to do that.
0: We'll see. Oh, sure. Well, that's, um. you know, obviously I haven't put up the episode with Fred yet, but um, I tell him in there, and we actually have a guy coming on soon who's going to come on periodically to help my wife and I with references from Corner Gas that are so Canadian we didn't get them. right. <laughs> So it'll be our cultural attaché because I mean Canada and America are very similar. We speak the same language culturally. We're nearly identical. Yet there are things that are very different about us. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. You know, poutine for one. <laughs> yeah. That the fr- fries and gravy never took off here either. Yep. And coffee crisp. You guys don't have that down there. Uh, no, we do not. That's our um, that's coffee the, chocolate bar. You know, we don't have a Canadian Tire either.
1: Ah. Of course. And you don't have the Robertson head screwdriver,
0: which is... Good. I've never even heard of such an animal. Yeah,
1: it is the greatest screw ever made. It's a, it's a square. It's not the star, which keeps on getting stripped when you try to use it. It's a square. So you put your screwdriver in there, and it actually locks it. And it was invented by a Canadian. And I think... I'm going to get this wrong, but I think Ford wanted to buy it from them or something, but they weren't going to give them enough money. So, but yeah, that's... It's one of the best things that's come out of Canada is, is the Robertson screwhead.
0: <laughs> wow. I'm actually going to have to check that out. <laughs> that's awesome. All right, well, Corbin, we're coming up real close on time here. Is there anything you'd like, uh, you know, web addresses or anything you'd like to promote at this point?
1: Uh, I'll, mention, I'll mention again, uh, www.pattersonswager.com is the website. Um, there's a whole bunch of information on there. There's a bunch of press stuff on there. There's links to buy the film as well. And yeah, I mean, it's it's on Facebook too, so p- please like it. And yeah, uh, I hope people, I hope people hear about it. I hope people watched it. And if if you do like it, please let people know who you think might like it. Because uh, anything that you know anyone can do to get the word out about this little movie is is certainly appreciated. Like like this podcast, it's 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 really great.
0: Yeah. And so, like, if people do see it, what do you think is the best word? I mean, you know, do you would you like people who like it maybe to turn around and tell five of their friends to check it out? Or what do you think is a good way to help get word out about it?
1: Well, that, that would be great. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. rating it on iTunes seems to help. I think it increases its where it can be sort of placed or something. I don't know. So you give it a star rating okay. if you like it. If you don't like it, you know, you can send me an email. Ripping into it, but I would prefer that you don't post a negative review. That that does kind of hurt little small little films when I mean, there's only 15 yeah. reviews or something, and one of them kind of takes it. In. There are some certainly people out there who like who like to go in there and kind of give it the one star just to to knock it down. But
0: yeah, you know, as as great as the internet and you know technology have been, it sure has made it easy for somebody to come along and shit in the punch bowl, hasn't it?
1: Yes, absolutely. And there's people that just Yeah, they just—I don't know if they're—I don't know if they're just upset at people who are doing stuff, and they're not doing stuff, so they just want to go out there and rip on people who are doing stuff. I'm sure that's a lot has a lot to do with it.
0: Yeah, it could very well. I mean, because I see stuff all the time where you're just like, "Well, you're just a petulant little child trying to cause problems for a good reason." Yeah, that's outstanding. All right, Corbin, well, thank you for joining us. Uh, everybody, you can find us at geekishcast.com. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash geekishcast, and I tweet from at the Geekish Cast. Uh, Corbin, what is your Facebook page and your Twitter address?
1: Uh, Facebook, you can just type in Patterson's Wager. You'll find it on there. Uh, Twitter is Patterson's Wager. Again, that's, that's my Twitter, and I also have my Corbin Salikin. I have two accounts, so I have my personal one on Twitter as well. And, yeah, again, it's www.patterson'swager.com.
0: All right. Well, goodbye, everybody.